Vintage Performance Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, and this time, the 10 Guiding Principles to Successful Turnarounds. How do you ensure that your company, if it's struggling, comes out the other side as a business that is going to survive and prosper? Well, it can be done, of course. In fact, it's done all the time. And Michael Fingland, the Managing Director of Vantage Performance, helps make it happen with his team. Of course, doesn't do it by himself. Uh, So welcome again, Michael. And let's look at those 10 guiding principles. Uh, So the first one, uh, and look, you know, we've sort of covered this from different angles before, but there's got to be one or two big changes in in the strategy. Just making a a few shifts here and there is not going to create a successful turnaround. Very rarely. Occasionally, and, and I mean five out of a hundred the, mm. the, the crisis that you're solving might be a temporary liquidity issue where it is uh, you know a tweak here and there but generally speaking and we've talked about this before you know 50% of the the uh, uh, success for turnarounds is closing what we call the confidence gap and you know, that that's getting the key stakeholders um, supportive of where you're at supportive of the changes the advisors you've got involved and, and, and supporting the plan and um, often what, what's got you into the situation is you haven't made some big st- strategic decisions in the last one, two, three years. So there needs to be one to two big changes in strategy to, to change the, 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 the perception, if you like, to, 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 and then build a plan around that. And it may be a capital raise, it might be a merger, it might be you know, um, exiting out of certain regions, uh, it might be mm-hmm. growing a part of the business. So you know, you know, there, there are a lot of things when, in that when we talk about big changes in strategy. Um, it may be condensing your, you know, you might have too many customers and they're losing money. So you, you might need to cull 30% of your customers, but you'll end up being a lot more profitable. Yeah, yeah. And, like and, a, like and, a big a big customer who's uh, you work very on very low margins for, but you mm. keep them in there because they supposedly bring in a, a great deal of money, but they also create a great deal of expense for the business. That's right. And unless you do that, unless you're looking for those one to two big changes in strategy, invariably, you will not rebuild the confidence uh, that is crucial to any turnaround. Right. Okay. Number two is to create a 100-day cash runway. Yeah, this is this is critical, and and in our in our model, and what's been very very successful for us is is you have to have a parallel focus in in that first few weeks, whilst you're doing that strategic review to work out how we got here, what are the one to two big changes in strategy, etc. You need to have a parallel focus, typically on on cash. Um, and our view is when we go into a situation, we need to be comfortable that we've got enough initiatives in combination with management to create a stable platform for at least three months. And the key thing there is, is one, you need to take some pressure off while you're, you know, you need some space, you need some headspace to think about these big decisions and how we're going to sell the plan to all the key stakeholders. But typically speaking, you know, most businesses have a 90-day cash cycle from when you buy your materials, whatever it might be, manufacture, sell, collect the cash, it's 90 days. So when you start putting new initiatives in place, it's going to take 90 days, sometimes 120 days, for the business to start showing the impacts from an earnings and a cash flow point of view. And that's why you need to have that stability and that confidence that you've got at least 100 days um, bef- you know, to, to have the confidence that you're going to, you're going to get through those uh, various flashpoints that are ne- in, invariably are there. But if you're making changes, I mean, you might also need more cash, mind you, as part of the, as part yeah. of that change process. Yeah. So a big focus in that first hundred days is is how do we how do we create more cash internally? And this goes to the heart of rebuilding stakeholder confidence. Is you need to demonstrate to your financiers and shareholders that you've exhausted all other avenues before you go and put your hand out. 
you know, and unfortunately too many boards are too quick to say, oh, we'll just go to the bank and ask for, for more money or we'll tap our, our shareholders for more equity. You need to demonstrate that, because in every situation we've been into, and I mean every, there's always been um, cash that's tied up in, in working capital. You've got lazy debtors, you've got lazy stock, you've got um, you know terms with your creditors you can renegotiate. Um, that's just one part of it. Non-core assets, surplus assets, um, you know that you might need to sell to to get greater utilisation out of the fleet, for instance. There's always uh, opportunities to free up more cash. There are, there, are, there are some opportunities to restructure loan facilities, uh, bring in new finance in, in that first hundred days, and we, we're always looking at those opportunities. But when we do that, we always demonstrate to our financiers that we've exhausted all avenues internally, so so we can cover that off. So they're not. You know, we're going to them as a last resort, if you like, and, and, and not taking the easy option. Right. The easy option often, often as well is to get rid of some of your highest paid staff, uh, which could be a, a bad decision because presumably they're, they're getting a decent salary because they're doing something which is uh, seen as contributing a great deal to the organisation. Exactly. And, and look, redundancies for us is the last resort, absolute last resort, because you want to you want to avoid taking capacity out of the business. Because if you can if you can hold on to your workforce through through a downturn, where, where your competitors might be you know, slashing 20, 30% of their workforce. If you can hang on to them, and there's some pretty clever things you can do to, to maintain the workforce and not, and not, and not cripple cash flow, uh, you will come out of that downturn. You know, if, if you've got 30% more capacity, you're, you've got 30% more people out there winning work, producing, looking for ways to innovate products, uh, you will come out and, and take market share. Yeah, absolutely. Grab grab the share while it's there. Mm. Um, the third one is uh, stakeholder management. Now, you reckon this is um, the, the critical part of it all, about half the job. Yep, uh, easily half percent. And this is where most turnarounds fail, whether they're simply led by by boards and the management team themselves, or if they have indeed you know, brought in advisors to help, they spend insufficient time on closing what we call that confidence gap. Uh, it is 50%, literally 50% of the time that we spend on a job in that first one to 150 days or more is dealing with their stakeholders face to face because it's 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 human relationships 101. If you need to rebuild confidence, you cannot do that um, over the phone. You cannot do that, um, you know, in between um, uh, other 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 initiatives. You have to spend significant time face to face building relationships, getting their trust. It, it, it's the heart of selling, um, and it's it's critical in a turnaround, and and uh, so that's why we spend so much time with them because you've got to close that confidence gap. And whenever we come into a situation, or any business finds itself in a critical situation like that, confidence and and um, yeah, f- particularly with from financiers in the management team is at an all-time low because they've typically broken three or four, you know, forecasts or, or promises to creditors, and you need that circuit breaker. Uh, and and that focus to try and rebuild that support. Otherwise, you're just not going to have sufficient support to get through the process. Yeah, well, they're worried, and they're assuming Mm. if if you've got this far down the track, it's just going to continue the death spiral, I guess, and uh, you need to convince them otherwise. Mm. So then number four, uh, look, you you normally do fairly well, uh, Michael, at avoiding acronyms, but even (laughs) you can't help yourself now. So the SCPPE model, tell us what that is. Yeah, it's, it's our own proprietary model that we've developed over the years, and yeah, and it, we keep adding on an extra letter every year, oh so that the acronym's going to become its that. own word. Um, <laughs> but at the core of it is is a fundamental belief that to have a, a viable, successful, sustainable business, you need the right strategy, you know, a powerful strategy, the right capital to fund it, and the right people to to execute that strategy. And what what's often lacking 
in a turnaround is one of those three circles because you've got to have all three working in unison uh, with a powerful why or purpose driving you know at the, at the core of that which is what are we in business to do what what sort of big problem are we trying to solve that's your why uh, and then but you've got to have the right processes in place systems and processes and uh, we've done a lot of work over the last few years particularly around the environment uh, in, in, in a work in a workplace so you need those three core drivers your strong purpose and the systems to make sure you know you can see if the plan is working kpis management dashboards all the rest of it but the environment is so critical and, I, and i'm not talking about the physical working environment i'm talking about the psychological environment within a workforce and it is a significant uh, contributor to whether a business uh, really outperforms its peers or whether it just you know, uh, becomes an also ran or, or or potentially fails, and it's what I what I mean there is around, you know, is there a culture of trust in, in the organisation? Do people genuinely have each other's back? You know, and Simon Sinek, uh, many people will have heard of Simon Sinek. He's a big believer in this, and that you can you can take a a second rate um, management team or you know employees in terms of you know university degrees. That's what I mean by second rate. You know, you can take people that don't have as much experience or, or university degrees, put them up against um, a, a business that, that doesn't have all that. But if you've got that right environment um, where people trust each other, they, they, they know what their job is, they know what their responsibilities are, they know how they fit into the entire piece, and, and I'll touch on something in a second, That and, and they know that what they do is meaningful and is making a change. If you do that, um, you will have the most powerful workforce working for you and working for each other and that gazumps you know the smartest management team every day of the week so and, and particularly in a turnaround situation you can get significant boosts in productivity culture morale reduction in, in absenteeism all those things um, by having a, a dual focused on on the environment in the work in the workplace so when did you last add a letter to your scppe model what was this to add, <laughs> add one a year every six months because you haven't got trust in there so you've got to add t on the end of it haven't you well, and then we, you well we, we, we debated you, that but we think well that's part of the e so you know and then you said people purpose and processes but you've only got two p's i know so you know it's it's the skippet model as far as i'm concerned but yeah. as you say that's just getting ridiculous isn't it yeah it, it is uh, it's too hard to <laughs> well, remember fi- exactly well the fifth one here's another acronym but at least i know this one the mm-hmm. usp uh, every business is i mean it's so fundamental isn't it everyone's got to have a unique selling proposition but uh, it's often forgotten in businesses oh, it is and, and often at the heart of turnarounds is, is they is the business had a strong usp and it might be their why their their purpose it could be one and the same thing um so they've either had it at one stage and you know as businesses get bigger it gets fuzzy because the the the, the entrepreneur the owner who set it up you know, it was powerful with, with, you know, with disseminating that in the early years. As you bring on more people, if you don't instill the same understanding and passion uh, and you don't hire the people with the same amount of passion, it gets distilled and, and, and diluted uh, as time goes on. So often in turnarounds, you've, you've got to try and chart a course back to what, what was it that was unique about us? And, 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 and really stood out and did everyone in the business really understand it and did it, and, and did it matter? Was it relevant? And, and do, do our customers really resonate with it? Sometimes we've, we've got to create one, um, but often it was there. It, it, was, it was why they were successful, but it's just got lost along the way. So you know, in that first few weeks when we're doing that strategic review, big focus on trying to identify what that what that USP is, uh, or you know, and as the name suggests, a unique selling point. Sometimes there won't be a unique one where you're the only one who has it, but 
but you might have a few points of difference which together create a USP. So, yeah. uh, and then you roll that out across the marketing, across the sales team, across you know manufacturing. You know, one of the things I was going to mention before is, you know, part of that that SCPPE model is, <laughs> uh, you know, someone on a production line. You know, they're in their own little bubble. You know, producing bull bars or, or whatever it might be. Understanding that if they don't do their job properly, and uh, the other three, you know, uh, parts of the process ahead of them, if they don't pick up a small imperfection in the in the uh, in the in the, in the material, uh, and it goes out the door to um, to a customer, it then comes back as a sale return. That costs time, effort, money, uh, and and you've damaged a relationship with the client. So understanding that. You know, that the quality of the work you do has ramifications on sales. So everybody in the business is in sales, whether you're in purchasing, manufacturing, packaging, trying to get them to understand they are all part of the sales process and to have that have that eye for quality all the way through. Right. So the so point number six, and, yeah. and you made the point that you know very often this can be the same as the uh, unique selling proposition, but it's not always. It's mm. the it's the why is the business there, or what's the purpose of the business? So that can be different from the USP, can't it? It can be, and look, too often people say why or what is your purpose, and you've, you've got to have values, and and they think it's just names, words that you've got to have on a on a on a on a wall, uh, and in your vision statement and mission statement in your website. That's the that's it's it's a waste of time, effort, and money uh, because nothing ever happens. You've got to you've got to spend serious time working out what it is that makes this business tick, and and is it is it relevant? And f- for if if there's one thing that that our listeners take from this is is go and read the book from Simon Sinek, which is Start with Why, and and look on the TED um, website or on YouTube for videos around Simon Sinek. Um, you, you will be uh, you know amazed at the power of what it can do and and mm. what, what we find we integrate that into all of our in, into all of our assignments and the key to it is to show management teams that if you get this right it will drive sales it will drive productivity it'll drive the right people to join your work your workforce but one and that's when they get it when they realize that this is not just something that you know a textbook says and management gurus say you've got to have a you've got to have a vision a purpose you know values you know um, it's not it, it, it you know too, too many people give it lip too, too little lip service um, shouldn't it be obvious though for most sh- businesses it should shouldn't be, it be obvious not. what they're about it mm. should be but I, it's not it gets fuzzy I, and and yeah. they never articulate it properly but i can tell you if you get it clear concise and it and it's clear across your website, your marketing collateral, the way people talk, the way you recruit. If you recruit people who believe in, in the same sort of purpose that your business is about, you will have a much stronger workforce, which means more productivity, um, lower ter- lower disruptions, and, you, you know, it's 50, your, your selling will be done 50% for you. And once yeah. they get that, then the, then the penny drops. Then they realize it's not just some, te- you know, some chapter in a textbook um, that, that they can't see any relevance for. Right, but when you get a whole load of people into a room and they all have different ideas and you sort of mould those together so mm. you have this incredibly long sentence uh, which says, you know, what we're all about, but it's actually 24 different things all amalgamated into one, then you know you've not done a job properly. It is one thing that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and, and you've got to really condense it down. So our why, you know, which, which is the whole reason our firm was created because, you know, as you know, I spent the first few years in insolvency and saw the carnage and the, and the, and the destruction that happens when businesses don't succeed. 
So our, our why is to improve the rate of business success. Now, yep. um, to avoid all those things that might otherwise happen. Now, that resonates when you've got a director um, who's worried about their business, they're worried about all their personal assets, their marriage, all the rest of it, or a board is worried about their their, their reputations and, and, uh, uh, and, and the business of which they preside over. Who do you want working for you? You know, a, a management consultant who who's in it for the money, a management consultant who, you know, likes doing this sort of stuff or someone who passionately believes in in that cause um yeah. you know and so one it's it's fundamentally who we are but it's also uh, aligned with what clients want to hear and i love the way that somewhere surreptitiously in the middle of these podcasts there is the <laughs> vantage before thinly veiled vantage performance plug and uh, you do it so nicely and uh, number seven uh pay down debt you've got to you've got to de-risk the business and the mm. the, the quickest way of doing that is getting rid of your debt or yeah it down anyway. yeah but there needs to be a, a, a balance to that so it's not about you know selling too many assets or, or paying down too much debt which leaves the business starved of, of capital it's, it's all about, about a balanced process. So in that first 100 days, 200 days, uh, and this is all geared towards rebuilding stakeholder confidence, is, is that before they need to see that you've done the obvious things. Have you sweated working capital? Have you sold non-core assets that you're only hanging on to because one day you might use them? Get rid of those. Because um, what they're looking for, it builds credit. It builds credit. You know, you get points, you know, as silly as that might sound. If the bank see you doing these things, you, you get credit. Uh, so when you do need to ask them for more funding down the track, you're more likely to get it. If you've done the, the obvious um, things up front to pay down debt, because if you can de-gear the balance sheet and reduce your gearing from 60 to 40%, and sometimes that's through selling non-core assets, selling personal assets, you know, getting shareholders to put some money in, you totally reset the, their, their expectations and their, and their confidence levels. So as I said, when you do need some more capital then to grow and to finish off the plan, they're more likely to then give you more capital because you've, you've, you've done the done the, uh, the the things that they think you should be doing first well you're, so you're talking their language aren't you i guess That's you they understand they understand money they don't necessarily understand your business or how you're planning to restructure it because they don't understand uh, the, the business that you're in perhaps that's right um Number eight is um, sort of goes along with that, a strong financial management. Uh, you'd hope you'd have that in the business, but perhaps you don't. Oh, look, Phil, it, it, is, it never ceases to amaze me how many large corporates, let alone small, medium-sized businesses, don't have sufficient financial controls in place. And we're talking listed companies that don't have you know, what we would um, uh, instill in, in an SME or a mid-market company, uh, which is you know, 30 week cash flow, three-way forecasts, really concise management packs uh, and management dashboards that are that are looked at on a regular basis. Um, simple things, you know, really accurate functional job costing models. So when they're tendering for, you know, say you're a construction business tendering for a large, you know, multi, you know, million, ten, hundred million dollar project, whatever it might be, that they're, they're, they're either still doing it um, by memory um, and, and gut and experience. Uh, or the job costing model they're using has got errors and, and formulas riddled, uh, you know, er, 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 errors riddled, riddled through the through the model uh, that they they weren't aware of. So they think they're they're pitching for a job that's going to give them a 35% margin, but in reality it's a 10% margin or whatever it might be. So no, really, you know, it's often a, a key weakness in any business that gets into strife. Yeah, and but yeah, and people looking at the wrong metrics and, mm. and you know, yep. looking at looking at sales, looking at revenue rather than margin, and that yeah. sort of thing. Or a big one is is having twenty KPIs that they're focused on when really there's only three that matter. Yeah, you yeah. know, and everything 
because you, once you focus and, and spend more of your time around three, and, and which make up maybe ninety five percent of the answer, um, you know you, you're you're putting a sufficient time and effort and focus on those, and you're going to get much faster uh, results. Now, number nine, uh, something dear to my heart, given mm. you know my background is very much in marketing. Mm. Maintain that focus on marketing uh, and also research and development. You've got to look at what you're going to be selling next as well, of course. Yeah, and just to uh, just to uh, uh, alleviate any concern you might have there, Phil, uh, th- these are in no particular order. <laughs> so even though this is number nine on, on, on the list of ten. Uh, oh, I assume we were working. I assume number ten was the most important and we were working <laughs> up to it. <laughs> yeah, no, the, um, these all have to happen in parallel. But, yeah, it, it, it's a big big part of uh, well it's a common a common one of the biggest mistakes i should say in mm. that the easiest thing to cut when you get into a bit of a crisis is 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 sales and marketing and yeah. the simple analogy i say to our clients and we do it as a team here is to say you know if you're going through an industry downturn uh, what would you rather be doing when you're emerging from that downturn still discounting the same old products because because get, everyone gets into this sort of race to the bottom you know we keep discounting our products and in retail for the last few years, there's a culture now of just continuous discounting. So, what would you rather be doing? Um, you know, continuing, you know, d- continuing to discount products as you're emerging through a downturn, or releasing new products to the market? Uh, because, yeah. as you know, if you're releasing new products to the market, you'll you can release them at a much stronger margin, uh, and and uh, you know, uh, you know, you, you you come through with new products, more innovation. You're coming out with new things that are different, interesting, and you're more likely to win market share. In fact, I can guarantee you'll win market share. Uh, if you maintain a focus on R&D and marketing. Uh, you might need to make some changes and tweaks, um, but I can tell you if, you, if you if you maintain more of that focus, um, you will get a jump on your competitors every time. And if, if the downturn is an economic downturn, if it's, it's affecting the whole country or even the, in the whole world, then that mm. creates new opportunities, actually. New, there's demand for new products that didn't exist before. If, you, if it you're does. smart and you can tap into it. It does, and it takes 18 months to for innovation to sort of work its way through the pipe to a new product or service. So if you start reinvesting in marketing and R&D, you know, uh, once you're coming out of the downturn, you've still got the same old products and services for another 12, 18 months. And that's that's the critical period where you can get a jump. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, so many big companies that are around today have come yeah. from that, from that, from those beginnings, of course, yep. where where there was a, a downturn and they've uh, come out of it uh, mm. shining. Mm. Number ten, and yes, this is so important, isn't it? Cultural transformation, and I guess mm. I mean, even even if a company is uh, is moving along well and there's a there's, there is a good culture. The moment things start to go wrong, uh, that can destroy the whole culture. You start to have backbiting. Mm. You start to have office politics, and you've got to just got, got to get rid of all of that stuff, haven't you? Mm. Yeah, that's right. And it's almost the most important part of a turnaround. And, and why I say that is, a lot of turnaround plans might give you the initial traction, the first hundred days. Lots of people are excited. You've got confidence going again. You know, you've, you've got a stable cash flow. But most turnarounds fail. Uh, well, they start unraveling at the 100-day mark, uh, and 12 months in, you know, you, you're back to where you started, because there's insufficient focus on fixing the culture in the business. Now, uh, now, now most management teams and, and consultants in this space don't give it sufficient focus. And you know, when we talked about our, our you know, strategy capital people model before, the environment piece that we talked about, this is at the heart of fixing the environment in the workforce, but. So whilst you, you have to have a, a significant focus on changing the culture in the business to, to improve the environment, the, the critical mistake you can make is trying to do it too soon. Um, and and, you, and you, you can spend a lot of time and effort on trying to improve culture in that first 100 days or even the first 200 days. 
But if you're still making changes to the business, and unfortunately if there's, uh, there are some redundancies and whatever, and you're trying to do cultural stuff in between all that, you're just going to fall flat on your face because people won't believe the statements you're making about what we're going to be like going forward. Yes, we're going to fix communication and we're going to respect our people and all the rest of it. It will fall on, on deaf ears if you're trying to roll that out whilst you're still you know, making their, their colleagues redundant. So mm. whilst it is fundamental to any successful, viable turnaround in the long term, um, starting it um, too early can be can be fatal. So you know that's usually phase three for us. Phase one is that first hundred days, stabilise, come up with the right strategy, sell that plan to the to to the key stakeholders. Phase two is the implementation of that um, that next sort of six months, and then we bring the culture piece in you know, around month between month six and nine. Once you've right. got that stable platform, and that's when yep. you can really cement the new plan because people then buy into it. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yes, those uh, those emails from the CEO saying, um, you know, what a strong organisation we are and how we value our people. Um, oh, by the way, we're getting rid of some of them. Uh, mm. Never goes down too well, does it? But we see it time and time again. We do. All right. Well, look, there's very wise words, 10 guiding principles to successful turnarounds. Uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. Uh, <laughs> thanks for your time. Thanks, Phil. And in fact, when we do come back, we'll be asking whether you need a chief restructuring officer. Well, you know, obviously, if we're asking that question, we believe that you do if you are in a turnaround situation. But what would that person do and who should it be? We'll talk about that next time. In the meantime, of course, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. Till then, I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for tuning in to the Vantage Performance Podcast. See you next time.